0: Welcome to Behavior Grooves, the podcast that explores human behavior through a behavioral science lens. I'm Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan.
1: Behavioral Grooves is the podcast where we cover why we do what we do with researchers, authors, and practitioners in a conversational setting. And we do that for one
0: singular purpose. We want to bring those insights to you. Yeah. Yeah. That is really why we do this. And Tim, we have done a lot of episodes on habits and routines. We've talked to great researchers such as Wendy Wood in episode 128 and Katie Milkman in episodes 99, 169, and 232. We kind of like Katie, right? You know, she's pretty good at those habits and routines things. And one of the things that we really like about habits and routines is how they are super efficient at maximizing productivity while minimizing our cognitive load. Yeah, uh, that is
1: absolutely a salient trait of habits and routines. But, but Kurt, there's one thing that doesn't get our attention in in our discussions about habits and routines a lot, and that's the use of processes. Mm. Yeah. So, like in this episode, we're going to explore the power of processes and checklists, and we're going to discuss the psychological benefits of using processes
0: and how you can leverage them in your life. To do that, we're going to hear from a practitioner and a researcher to help us understand why processes and checklists are such powerful tools.
2: Yeah,
1: let's start with the researcher. Joe Keebler is a researcher and a professor of human factors and behavioral neurobiology at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Florida. He has done some really amazing work on the use of processes and checklists for improving
0: performance. Our practitioner guest is Peter M. Krask. Peter is an artist and coach based in New York City who helps people maximize their creative and non-creative output by tapping into processes. He will share how processes from one aspect of our lives can be used to help us work through new and unfamiliar tasks. Otherwise, things in other parts of our lives.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's start with the basics,
0: Kurt. What do you think of when I say process? Process. I think of work and you know uh, standard operating processes and this idea of working through a series of steps and tasks and this is the way that you do it it's kind of regimented you know what about checklists checklists are those things that you get that little dopamine you know release (laughs) whenever you get to check it out but um from what 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 i understand checklists are subordinate to processes they are part of processes but not processes themselves. Tim, h- yeah. how do you use processes or checklists? Well, like I think about like the process of actually producing the podcast and I like I, I
1: work backwards from the end and then think about, you know, I kind of have a reminder set of uh, before production, there's going to be the mastering and before mastering, there's mixing and before mixing, there's editing. And, you know, and so there's sort of a, a template actually, which I
0: kind of use as the process. Ah, you start with the end in mind. There I, you do. Go. Yeah. I, d- I do. I yeah. do. So I think I can say that both of us see processes as a way to maybe increase productivity. Uh, would would that be too far of a no, reach for I, you? I, it's absolutely uh, to, to try to make things easier or more effective. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think research backs that up. the The most important part is the process. Is it helps it helps us to reduce the cognitive load that we we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Ah,
1: yes, we were always looking for ways to reduce
0: the cognitive load, Ooh, aren't we? Always looking, <laughs> I, at least I am, because, you know, my cogn- my load-bearing care- capacity is really small. So Well, we, yeah, and we should say that
1: cognitive <laughs> load is the work that's done by our prefrontal cortex, that, that part of the brain that sits right behind our forehead. And that prefrontal cortex is responsible for what neuroscientists call the executive functions And the cognitive load is literally the amount of calories the prefrontal cortex needs to burn in order to process something. So researcher Joe Keebler describes the cognitive benefits of processes and checklists in this way.
2: So there's a lot of ways to look at this. I guess, you know, looking at it from a cognitive perspective, it it lets you externalize your cognition. So it lets you remember things or remember details or complex processes surrounding interacting with the system without having to kind of hold in your mind or, or... what's called our prospective memory, our ability to retain lists of information. It's not great in humans. It's more developed in people who like weight tables or who deal with complex information a lot. But in general, even if you're an expert, you might not be able to retain large lists of information in your working memory.
0: You know, Tim, cognitive load ends up being a big deal for humans.
2: Our brains are roughly
0: two to 3% of our body weight but they consume about 20% of all of our calories. In yeah. other words, our brains are a huge energy hogs. <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, our brains are constantly looking for ways to reduce that energy consumption, to get through our day with less effort. This is where we see decision-making heuristics and habits and routines come into play. They help us reduce cognitive load. Yeah. So this
1: idea that we can use processes or routines or checklists to help externalize our cognition is a very cool concept. Cognitive aids reduce our effort by freeing up space in our heads to allow us to focus on other maybe even more
0: important things, right? Yeah, well, you know, this is a, a really important thing, particularly as it gets to creative things and and as we think about how we allow our brain to be working on those important things, as opposed to how am I going to get to work today? I mean, just think of right. the the habit that we have in driving, back in the days when we used to drive into the office, right? And And we didn't have yeah. to think about that after a while because it became routine, became habit. And right. I could be thinking about what I'm gonna say in my presentation as I'm driving in. I could be thinking about that as opposed to thinking, do I turn left at the street? Do I take a right over here? Oh my gosh, what's going on? When we are able to outsource all of that, we free this idea to be thinking outside of the box and to have our minds be working on that more important stuff. That's- yeah, you and you
1: probably used a process to come up with that, right? To to get the, your that something that eventually became a habit of driving, right? It started out with sort of a process of, well, how am I going to get there? You had to sort of think through some of those things, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, you you know, if a process is using Google Maps and and then, you know, <laughs> well, letting terrible. it drive me in. No, I mean, the, well, but it, actually but, you, you, I'm being facetious that this idea of building a process is exactly true, right? This idea, and particularly as we think about other aspects, driving may not be the best one, but all right, work. I need to do these ten steps in order to get the the podcast out. And now I don't have to, you know, once we've developed that process and, and honed that process in and the way that we kind of think about things and work, we don't have to think about that anymore. We don't have to think yeah. about the process to get there and we can just do those steps and that allows us more creativity as we're thinking through. And when we do, we can break that process in the appropriate ways in order to make sure that that happens, so.
1: Yeah. So, so this idea that a process could be limiting is really a misnomer, Mm. right? I I think that in best case scenarios, processes are really liberating and can open us up to seeing more possibilities. If you're open to being surprised, at least from time to time, Um, processes (laughs) can actually lead us down new paths. And, And in our conversation with Peter Krask, we started out with a reminder of the scientific method, that, that general approach that's taught in middle school science classes, right? To, to be curious, to do research, to develop a hypothesis, to experiment, to document, to analyze results, and then repeat as necessary. And it may be the same method each time, but the outcomes can be, you know, dramatically different.
3: A researcher, you know... There are plenty of studies where a researcher goes into it and thinks they're studying one thing, and then by the time they reach the end of the study, they've discovered something else, or they got a different result than what they anticipated. That's the exact same thing. I don't see any difference in that, although the language may be different. But part of that process is being open to surprise or being open to the story that wants to be told. The ends may be different because um, in business, you would say, you know, you want the results to be scalable. Um, In a scientific study, you would want the results to be replicated. You know, a photographer wants to, you know, be able to create circumstances so they can get the same result, you know, even if the individual work is different. But there's something in the process that needs to be repeatable to get that result. So I don't I don't think that question's very different across any of those fields.
1: So it's interesting that when we talked to Peter about the process of songwriting, he compared what a pop songwriter does with a librettist. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, a librettist. That would be me, right, Tim. That, that would, would be me. me. So a librettist writes the words for the singers You know, for in an opera, basically, if you've ever listened to an opera, you'll know that the songs in an opera are very different from pop music. But the process that pop singers use can be the same as the librettist. But the goals, the outcomes and the results can be very different.
3: Well, it's funny. They both actually work in the same arena, which is compression that you actually have a very limited space to tell a story. And they face the same question, which is because it takes more time to sing something than it does to speak it, grammar's syntax breaks down over time. So a songwriter and a librettist face that same question, which is, you know, you can't have a sentence with 10 clauses. Generally, you maybe have, you know, 10 syllables And that, you know, so from that standpoint, um, I think it's the same question. Um, You know, a libretto gets infinitely more complicated because you're dealing with a dramatic structure and a dramatic structure that unfolds over a longer period of time. So that opens up all sorts of questions in terms of character and setting and meaning and, you know, what works on stage versus what doesn't. So I think, you know, one is sort of a short, A shorter version of a longer process. Within that, they actually know what they're doing. Like people are so, you know, trained in one way and they have a certain pattern that they follow and a certain way of getting to a result. And when they have to move that knowledge into something else, they sort of like forget all of a sudden, like I have a process. And a large part of what I do is kind of teach people their own process. So Tim, this
0: idea that if you have a process that you can get different outcomes is really fascinating the same process but two different outcomes because you're you're using the process in two different ways right and i love that i love that idea and i love this idea too that that peter talks about at the end is that when people are good at the process right then it allows them to really kind of have this creative kind of flowering as a, as a way of thinking about this. And I, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be limiting at all. No, actually. it doesn't have to be limiting at all. And I, and I go back to this and this isn't process, but it, but it is this idea of, of having something down and I, we've talked about this before, but um, in apocalypse now, Right, uh, if you've ever seen *The Heart of Darkness*, the the documentary about this, I think it's uh, Francis Ford Coppola, the director, is talking with Dennis Hopper, who is probably high as a kite at this point, and he's like, you know. Berating Dennis for knowing his lines, and he's and Dennis is like, "Yeah, dude, but you know, Marlon doesn't. You know, he ad libs. I'm just doing the same thing." Let's talk about Marlon Brando. Marlon the Brando, you know, Academy and, Award-winning actor. And Francis yeah. Ford Coppola is one of the best lines ever. He says something along the lines of, "Marlon knows his lines and is ad libbing from them. Yeah. You're just making shit up." <laughs> All right. And so this idea that, you know, he's, he, you know, Marlon knows his lines and he's adding because it's the it's it's adding to the story. It's building upon this versus just making crap up uh, yeah. that doesn't have any any relevance to anything else that's going on, I think, is a really kind of key. If we think about this process that, all right, I can just make shit up. But if I have a process and I know and now I'm ad living off of the process. That is where you can get some real beauty because you're taking that cognitive load that we talked of earlier and freeing that up. Whereas before, it's all kind of getting in there and craziness. So
1: yeah, it's almost like a heuristic, right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 sort of like a a rule of thumb that that isn't so strict. That and this is some one thing I really like about processes that it's not like the strict adherence of something in particular, but it is about sort of following a rule of thumb. That again, can get you to different outcomes, yeah. can get can lead you to different results as long as you're kind of going in the in the right direction. It's like having a North Star versus a very explicit goal.
0: Well, and Peter t- uh, you know likens the idea of process to uh, simple, repeatable elements that can be used in a variety yeah. of domains, not just one. So this idea, again, as we talked about, the pop, you know, singer, writer, can use this similar process or her similar process in writing the the words for an opera. And yeah. it's two very different outcomes, but the process, the steps going into it aren't that different. And same thing, you know, this conversation talking about, all right, you're an author and now you're trying to do songwriting or you're um, a script writer and you're trying to do, you know, some a sort play. of business thing, right? Oh yeah. and yeah. and you can use those similar processes, particularly if they're in the same general domain. So, Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, there was something else that that Peter talked about, and that was about being aware and being intentional in order to create better processes. And like much of what we see in behavioral science, starting with intentionality is really key.
3: Because I think part of that is, uh, you know, for anybody who is highly skilled in one area, that process is so intuitive after a certain period of time that they don't stop to think about like, oh, these are the things I'm doing, and these are the questions I'm answering when I sit down to work. They just sit down and get started.
0: So once again, I love this idea, and we've talked about this in other episodes too, that if you're purposeful, if you start with intentionality, then it makes everything behind it so much more the performance just increases the outcome is more likely to be achieved as to what you're trying to do again it's the Marlon Brando versus Dennis Hopper uh right. you know right. there's an intentionality versus just an ad hoc i'm i don't know what the shit you know is and i'm just making crap up
1: it reminds me of Roy Baumeister talked about how we can build our cognitive skills by like going up to a door and rather than using our dominant hand we use our subdominant hand yeah. to open the door like like just changing things up being intentional it actually kind of builds muscles that allows us to be more flexible
0: we could have that as part of our process well and wendy wood spoke to the idea that habits are completely effortless to do but very difficult to change so yeah. be careful about not you know, caring what habits are formed, like you should be intentional about what habits are formed. And you have to be very intentional when you're trying to change those negative habits, or even if you're trying to instill new ones, so. Yeah, Uh, and actually maybe that's a good segue into talking about goals,
1: about Mm. taking this intentionality. So let's talk about goals from the perspective of process.
0: There are a couple of components of goals I think that Peter referenced in our conversation that I think we should discuss. He uses terms like outcomes and structure. And to me, it sounded like those words were synonyms for goals and processes. So let's listen.
3: I think, you know, it it, it sounds kind of wishy-washy or just, you know, cliche-ridden, but I think it's really, you know, about having the ability to sort of let go of an outcome. And I, and I want to be very clear here that um, outcomes matter and goals matter. And directions and plans matter. I think this is where the personal part of it comes in. And, you know, what one person needs to execute a project isn't what someone else is going to need. And there may be, you know, different levels of technical sophistication, you know. So it's very hard to sort of have this kind of cookie cutter approach, like one size is going to fit all. And I, you know, so, you know, it's that interesting tension of sort of, you know, there, you need a structure, And you need a template, but you also need a lot of room to maneuver.
1: Yeah, I just want to say that he kind of nails this idea that outcomes do matter, right? Outcomes are certainly important, uh, but the goals to get there need to be flexible we've learned a lot about, about the flexibility of goal setting. And while it's good to have specific goals, it's good to be very, very intentional. We also kind of need not just to give ourselves some grace, but we also have to recognize that the world is changing and, and changing around us. And so having uh, some flexibility in the way that we set our goals and the
0: way that we go to achieve them, I think is really important. Yeah. I let Fishbach talked about the importance of flexible goals when we talked with, with her and it's, this idea of having a goal is fantastic. Goals are motivational. They focus our attention. They do a whole bunch of wonderful things, as Gary Latham will say, right? That's uh, really good. But this idea of getting locked into a goal that is never changing, given the circumstances, the context, the environment, all right. of those factors that come into play can be very limiting. That can be a limiting piece. And so we need to be flexible about that. Yeah. 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 So, Joel Keebler reminded us that not everything needs a process, but there are some places where you might want to put one, like when the stakes are particularly high. And this is because we want that (laughs) process or checklist to help us keep track of things we might just forget or not pay enough attention to, or just overlook. So I think that's important.
1: Uh, absolutely. And like the safety perspectives that Joe is referencing are particularly relevant because he's talking about keeping pilots alive mm. <laughs> you know in the world that he lives in. It's very, very specific. The message, however, is universal. And since we're all human and we're all fallible, it's important to think about where you want to interject processes into your story, even when safety isn't central to your task.
2: so if it's put in the right spot in in a process, it's going to, make things safer and because humans are fallible we we cannot perform perfectly all the time hardly you know ever can we perform perfectly so it's good to have you know a structure that supports when we fail especially when it comes to mental things like memorizing or doing things in exact order every time
0: okay Tim let's wrap up our discussion on processes here what should we take away from our conversation with Peter and Joe let's start with intentionality okay let's start with it let's be intentional about our intentionality.
1: Well, I love this idea that so much of behavioral science comes back to having some kind of intention that that process can be used in a very powerful and positive way in your life as long as you just start with the intention of wanting to be more purposeful in your life.
0: Let's bring more purpose, let's bring process. Yes, yeah, so let's think about where as you mentioned earlier, what part of our story Do we need checklists? What part of our story do we need to have a process in? And then as Peter talks about is we don't have to reinvent that process wheel all the time that that we can take processes that we already have in our lives and transfer them and just slightly modify them. And you'll get a really good outcome often when you do that. Uh, Absolutely. What else, Kurt? Let's make sure that we set goals for what we're trying to do, right? This idea that goals are important, and we've talked about this as ad nauseum on, on the show, but we, we have to think about making sure that the goals we set are the goals that really are going to be the ones that propel us to what we want to have happen in our life. Yeah. And I really like
1: this idea that while it's important to have specific goals, it's important to be, again, in combining your intentionality, it's also important to have some flexibility and to be willing to say, my process is taking me in a direction that I hadn't anticipated. And then you get to decide, do I keep going that direction or do I change course? Um And But you can be flexible with your goals. I think that's really the the, kind of the key there. And then, you know, I also wanted to say that it's important to use processes in the right places. You don't Mm. need a
0: process for everything, but kind of just where it makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. And lastly, remember to keep trying. The first attempt at a new process might not be perfect, might mean that you have to make changes. You got to make changes over time. And Joe where it reminds us that fast isn't
2: always better, because you know doing this well is not really fast. Usually, I mean, you can do it quickly and sometimes get good results, but you know, science is slow.
1: Well, I think that wraps up our episode, and we want to thank you for listening to Behavioral Grooves and being a groover. And we hope that you can package some of the, what you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that will help you go out and find your groove.